What's up, Tony? What's going on? What's going on? Welcome back to the Jordan Syatt Mini Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We've got a, it's not a new format. It's the same format with Tony. So basically every time Tony's been on, we've done some pretty in-depth discussions, whether it's personal or you've, you've listened to the, ep- if you haven't listened to episodes with Tony before, I don't know what you're doing. Go back and listen to the previous episodes. But when, with Susan, I regularly do Q&As. And Susan's here once a month to do the Inner Circle. And those do very well. People really have enjoyed the Q&As. So I was like, you know what, Tony? We're really getting on this four times a month schedule once a week. So, And it can be really difficult to do the regular podcast with you. Like, There's a lot of planning and talking and mm-hmm. figuring out what we're going to discuss. So I was like, how about we do two of those a month and then two Q&As a month? Because Q&As, I think, are fun. They're a little bit easier. And uh, and they, I think they help a lot of people with just answering their questions that they ask on my Instagram. Yeah, totally. I just want to put this out there. I am not a fitness professional. <laughs> I'm a fitness enthusiast. So whenever I say something, it's just one guy's opinion. But hopefully I can add something to the conversation even if it's just asking questions and saying dumb things that you need to correct. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there Yeah, at well, the outset. I mean, the cool part is with Susan and I, it's two fitness professionals discussing it from fitness professionals viewpoint. But if I'm answering a question and then it sparks another question from you mm-hmm. or a, whatever it is, like I think that's going to have a great still early in the morning. I'm like trying to formulate my words. It's going to have, have, add a great component to the show and to, mm-hmm. to help people because you're probably going to be able to ask things that I wouldn't think of. There's something, and there's a book called um, Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. I think it was one of the best books I've ever read specifically in regard to making better, more digestible, helpful content. Hmm. And in that book, they talk about something called the curse of knowledge. And as you gain knowledge in a certain subject or field, it is very easy to forget what it was like to not be an expert or to not have that level of knowledge. It's easy to forget the questions you had, the fears you had, the concerns you had when you were more of a beginner. So I think that's going to be super helpful to have your insight and your opinions and your thoughts on this. Awesome. Well, I'm ready. Let's rock. All right. So I've gone through and I've, gone through my uh, my Q&A and screenshotted a few of them that we could begin with. And you know what? In my head, I'm thinking, hold on, before I answer these questions, I just want to talk about this one thing first. So I went on like a three and a half week trip slash vacation with my wife and daughter, right? So we went to Boston at the beginning of Passover to visit my mom and my side of the family, introduce them to our daughter for the first time. My mom had met my daughter, but a lot of like the extended family had not. We were there for about a week. Then we went to Israel for about two weeks to finish out Passover and then also see family and friends there, introduce them to our daughter. And then we went to Atlanta for my wife's side of the family. Same exact thing. And bro, when I tell you I ate like a fucking asshole overseas <laughs> and I loved every minute of it. Oh man, like it was the best. And do you have a favorite meal that you remember? Was there one oh, in particular? Bro. So so there's a bunch. And you mean like a favorite meal from this specific trip? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so my favorite dude, my favorite meal from this specific trip was in Israel. 
just with the family. It was like at in their apartment, small little apartment in the northern city of Haifa. Just the whole family was there and sat around and home cooked meal, didn't buy anything but home cooked meal, shakshuka, two different types of shakshuka. So if you're in the inner circle, I have my favorite shakshuka recipe that's in there. My sister, she made that shakshuka and she also made a different type of shakshuka. She called it a green shakshuka, which was made with uh, more green vegetables and coconut milk. It was like a creamy base. It was, it was unbelievable. But it's just sitting around the, the dinner table. And, and I think one of the reasons it's so special is because they live all the way across the world. And it's so rare for this to happen. It's usually once a year at most. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, you really appreciate it so much more. It's not on Zoom or it's not on WhatsApp video or whatever it is. It's you're sitting there all together, hanging out, getting to see them hold your baby and, and just talking in person. Like that was by far my favorite actual meal. In terms of favorite food, <laughs> it's funny, we were driving to uh to Tel Aviv one night with my brother and his friend and my wife and, and daughter were with me, obviously. And this is my wife's second time in Israel. And one of her favorite parts about Israel is the food. Mm. Like she's The food's unbelievable. And we were really hungry. We didn't get to eat much that day as we're driving to Tel Aviv because we're going to go to a big dinner party with more friends that I hadn't seen in like 10 years to celebrate Passover. And, and we get I get my wife a burger from my old favorite burger place when I used to live in Israel and seeing her face, her jaw drop when she tried this burger for the first time. She was like, this is like her mouth is full of, she's like, this is the best burger I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> it just made me so happy. So I, I would imagine that that burger was probably her favorite food on the whole trip. My favorite food in Israel is something called sabich. Mm -hmm. You really got to put the ch in sabich. sabich. So, yeah, there you go. Sabich. It's this, it's in a pita. And anyone who's been to the Middle East knows that pita in the Middle East is so different than pita in the United States or even pita in the UK. It's like, it's this fluffy, warm pillow. Like it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's like a lot of the pita here, especially the low calorie pitas piss me off. They're so thin. They like tear from breathing on them. Dude, it's such shit. It's all like, if you want, like pita is this like warm, thick, it's like, you know, when you wrap yourself up in your sheets at night and it's like these thick, comfortable, like that's, that's what a pita should be like. So it has pita, it's got hummus, it's got a bunch of vegetables, it's got fried eggplant, it's got hard boiled egg in there. That's my favorite food in Israel for sure. What's it called again? Sabich. S-A-B-I-C-H would be how it's phonetically spelled and, and pronounced. So yeah, man. Anyway. So I got sidetracked there. So I ate like, dude, crazy. Just ate and ate and ate and ate and ate. And I did something similar when my wife and I were in Greece for our wedding. We eloped for our wedding several years ago. And I remember being like, I must have gained seven to seven to 10 pounds, I thought, easily. And then I remember I weighed myself when I got back and my weight was the same. And I was like, what the fuck? That's crazy. So this time in Israel, we're there for almost two weeks, plenty of time to put on like a little bit of weight, especially like it wouldn't all have been fat, even if I gained weight, which I just ruined the story. But even if I gained weight, it wouldn't all be fat. But like a lot of glycogen stores, a lot of extra stomach content, it's easy to put on five to 10 pounds on mm -hmm. vacation. So in my mind, I'm like, I gained a lot of weight. Like I'm drinking wine every day. And my, my family there, they literally buy like 
an insane amount of like hundreds and hundreds of bottles of wine every year. And it was funny because my dad in Israel and to everyone who doesn't know, this isn't blood family. This is like my adoptive family in Israel. They, uh, my dad there, he, uh, he got pulled over recently at like a checkpoint and the officer was like, looked in the back of the car and he's like, what the fuck are you doing with all of this wine? He's like, well, you know, I'm going to drink it. What you- <laughs> 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 like they love wine. Israeli wine is amazing. So drinking wine every day, eating a ton of food. And in my mind, I'm like, I've easily gained at least four to eight pounds. No question. We get back. And again, my weight is exactly the same, slightly lower. My wife actually lost like a significant amount of weight, even though she was eating just like I was. And I couldn't believe it. And this is funny because like, this is my field. Like this is, I I should know why. And I do know Mm -hmm. why I'm going to explain it. But it was funny how I could even get in my head and think like, oh, I've definitely gained weight. I've definitely gained weight. And I even tricked myself mentally into feeling, thinking that my jeans were feeling tighter. I like, I was like, I must've gained weight. So even when I was putting my jeans on, which I use as a marker of are the, is it fitting? Is it not? I like mentally convinced myself to think that they were feeling tighter. And then as soon as I weighed myself and saw that my weight hadn't changed, I was like, oh yeah, my jeans actually feel pretty good. Isn't that, it's fucking mind blowing the mind games we can play on ourselves. And I wanted to talk about what I did on this vacation that allowed me to not gain weight. And Mm-hmm. So actually, um, I've had sort of a full circle on this one mm. uh, myself. If, if I've been training consistently and I go on vacation, this is something I've talked about with one of my buddies a lot. I think there are sneaky gains that occur mm. when you just relax, take the load off, drink the wine, eat the steak, whatever it is. Every time I go on vacation, I feel like when I'm going, like, man, I'm going to be like, should I do push-ups in the hotel? Like, what am I going to do? Like, and I never do any of that. And when I come back, <laughs> I swear to God, I feel like I look stronger. I feel stronger. Mm. I feel better. And so I, th- I think that there's just sneaky gains, like you'd put in the work and then the lack of stress lets your body put all those calories and all that fun to good use. Well, you know, there, there is some scientific explanation for that, especially, and we have to differentiate between strength gains and more cardiovascular, like from mm-hmm. a strength performance perspective versus cardiovascular performance perspective. If you're looking at and, and listen, I was an elite powerlifter for years. I competed in, in powerlifting for a long time. When you're trying to peak for a, a weightlifting competition, whether it's powerlifting, Olympic lifting, 
the weeks leading up to the competition, about two, three, four weeks prior, you go through what's called an overreaching or what some people might know as overtraining phase in which you deliberately lift too heavy. And it's not like, yeah, like you lift too heavy. You, you, you put your, pot, your body under, and specifically your central nervous system, under a heightened level of stress more than you would ever want to do otherwise. You lift extremely heavy with a relatively high volume, relative, like very high intensity. And this, is, this stops about two weeks prior to the competition. This is called the overreaching or overtraining phase. The week prior to the competition, you essentially either don't work out at all, or if you do work out, you drop everything by like 80%. It's, a, it's called a deload. And some people deload, some athletes deload by not lifting at all. For me, from a competitive perspective, I had to go to the gym just to keep my routine. If I just mm-hmm. stopped my routine entirely, it sort of put me in a weird funk. So I would go to the gym, but I wouldn't lift. I would do my warmups. I would stretch. I would lift the barbell with literally nothing on it. So like I wasn't tiring myself at all. It was literally just like going through the motions of what a day might look like just so my routine was the same. It was sort of like sports psychology as opposed to physiological stuff. And then by the time I got to the competition a week later, I have now done what's called, uh, I've arrived at this super compensation phase. Mm -hmm. So two weeks prior, you are overreaching, overtraining. You essentially overtrain to the point in which you, you are so tired and so exhausted that your body can't handle anymore and you reach a certain peak. And then like we're, this isn't a video, but imagine I'm using gesticulations, hand points, I'm, I'm at a peak. Then I start to dip. I'll start to drop. And this is during the deload. I'll start to, during the deload, my strength will drop and I will go towards like a, a very low, essentially a new low for this training phase where I, I'm, probably around my weakest. And then a week later, I'm going through the super compensation phase. And so now I am climbing up, 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 up until I've reached a new peak for this entire training phase, potentially for my entire training career, in which I am the strongest I've ever been. And the strongest I've ever been comes after a week of doing nothing. It comes after the deload phase, which is pretty crazy because a lot of people think, oh my God, if I don't lift for a week, I'm going to lose all my gains. No, actually, so when people, a lot of people say I come back stronger, yeah, mm. you've just super compensated. Through your vacation, you've literally just gone through what many lifters realize as a mini peak prior to their competitions. And, and so from a strength perspective, this is very common. From a cardiovascular perspective, and I want to talk about this, you lose cardiovascular gains much more quickly than you do uh, strength gains. It's ironic. You, you can improve your cardiovascular health and performance much more quickly, and you can lose it much more quickly. It's much more transient than strength gains. Strength gains take longer to build, and they also take longer to lose. Cardio gains are quicker to build and quicker to lose. So it's, it's a give and take there. And so oftentimes, if you don't really do any cardio at all on vacation, you'll come back and walking up the stairs, you're going to be like, oh, geez, like your heart rate's going crazy. And, and like mm-hmm. for the first few workouts back, you just feel like it's very difficult for you, especially just keeping up with it. But the strength is often there. It, does that make sense? Yeah. And I hate that feeling, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm chronically undertrained in cardio. So it's just, man, I hate yeah. it so much. <laughs> There's nothing that will make you more worried about like your health and your overall fitness than 
realizing a very simple task, like walking up a few flights of stairs, just gets your heart rate through the fucking roof. And you're like, geez, am I about to die? Like, why, <laughs> why can I not handle this? Um, so on this vacation, we were enjoying the vacation first and foremost. We wanted to eat and enjoy. One thing that was very different about this vacation relative to any vacation I've ever had in my life was my daughter was with us, which was such a blessing. My eight-month-old daughter, she turned eight months on the trip. And it's so funny, dude. There was a lot of mental stuff going on in regard to that because this is my first vacation with an infant ever. Mm -hmm. And every other vacation, my family in Israel was actually making fun of me. They were like, oh my God, because we basically stayed in Haifa the entire time. Haifa is one city. When when I'm there, usually I'll go in Haifa, then I'll go to Tel Aviv, then I'll go to the South. And like I'm traveling all around so I can see all the people I used to hang out with. And now with my wife and daughter, specifically with my daughter, we stayed in Haifa the entire time, except for one night we drove 45 minutes to Tel Aviv and drove 45 minutes back like an hour and a half later. But the entire time we stayed in Haifa. And I was watching, this meme popped up on my, like this meme video popped up on my Instagram. And it was this guy with kids in the background on vacation. And he didn't say anything. There were just words that he wrote on the screen. And he said, vacation as a parent is no longer vacation. Vacation as a parent is just watching your children in a different place. And dude, this made me so happy because I had this underlying level of anxiety feeling like I wasn't vacationing properly because mm. it was very different than vacation throughout my entire life. And seeing that I was like, oh, okay, this is normal. Like I can't vacation like I used to because I've got an eight month old who needs to eat every few hours and has to be on her nap schedule and all this stuff. Like, so it's about her now. And so I was like, okay, good. I can just relax. We can hang out. And because of that, my wife and I were taking walks every day. Previously on vacation, we'd lie on the beach and we'd just hang out the whole day and then we'd eat and, and all of that. But with our baby, we were, we were walking like 20,000 steps a day and because we were right on the beach. So we'd go on the boardwalk and we would just walk yeah. for hours. And then we'd stop and we'd have a huge meal and then we'd walk all the way back. And so the, the main reason that I think the, uh, the weight didn't stack on and my weight stayed the same is the walking. Mm -hmm. Just 20, it was an average of 18,000 to 22,000 steps a day. There was one day where we only got like 6,000 but every other day for those two weeks was 18,000 to 22,000. And there was no running. It, like there were a couple times we did a zone two, like two times we did some zone two work, but everything else was just walking. And what was so interesting, aside from the lack of weight gain, literally no weight gain, it was just weight stayed the same. When I got back, and this goes back to talking about how cardiovascular fitness is much more quick to lose. After about three and a half weeks of not training jujitsu, I was prepared to be exhausted and out of breath and like, <gasps> like just completely gone. It was as though I'd never left. It was as though my, my cardio was not negatively impacted at all. My coach couldn't believe it. He was like, I've never seen someone take this too much time off and not have some real issues the first two, three, four sessions back. Dude, it was, it was the walking. Yeah. It was, it was just, and it wasn't brisk walking. It wasn't get your, get your heart rate up. It was just strolling with my wife. People are passing us on the boardwalk. We have a, we have a stroller with our daughter in it sleeping. Like it was just strolling. And that was enough to maintain my cardiovascular fitness and also keep my weight from, from ballooning up or vacation. Like I, I, it was insane to me. And 
there are very few things in this industry that I find as insane to me as something that I learn nowadays. It was just, uh, it was really incredible. And this is a question I've been getting a lot. How did I not gain so much weight? And I've posted about this briefly on my story. And a lot of people said, that's exactly what happens to me. I just make sure I get my steps in. And, you know, I want you to enjoy your vacation. And if you're the kind of person on vacation who just likes to sleep in and lie on the beach, go for it. Enjoy it. Don't don't be worried about that. If you gain weight on your vacation, it's not a big deal. You get mm-hmm. back on track when you get back, it's vacation. Sort of like when you go on vacation, odds are when you come back from vacation, you have more emails in your inbox than usual. You might have more pounds in your inbox than you right? have have gained a little bit of weight, your your weight-based inbox, right? Well, then you just clear the inbox out by getting back to work. You clear <laughs> how, your how inbox you, how out. How do you clear <laughs> the, the inbox of uh, pounds out, Jordan? You get your nutrition back in check, <laughs> right? Like how do you clear the inbox out of emails, right? You yeah. answer more emails and you take fewer breaks, right? It's like, how do you clear the pounds off? You eat fewer calories and you get back to your fitness. I don't know if this was a good analogy, but <laughs> I was going for, for a much baser joke on that one. So I'm glad you took it a different direction. <laughs> so, so yeah, man, that was, that to me was, I learned something new and I, I'm actually very excited for this chapter aside from just having a child and, and loving parenthood, excited for this chapter to learn more hands-on and personally what it's like to maintain and, and improve your health and fitness with a child. I think I've done a, a very good job in the first eight months with, you know, I remember right when she was born, I did a mini cut and I lost like 12 to 14 pounds. I've maintained that weight loss like this morning, except on the scale 146 at the 146.0 this morning at the end of my mini cut, I was like 148. So I've actually lost some more weight since the end mm-hmm. of the mini cut. So I've done a great job of improving my health and fitness and having one. I, I know it's going to be more difficult if God willing, we have more kids, but I'm excited for this journey because I've coached parents my whole career. This is my first time being a parent. And so I'm excited to learn more and have more of these light bulb aha moments as I go through it. Yeah. And it, it's so different when you've experienced something in that way, as opposed to just knowing it you mm. know, from an academic perspective, like, oh yeah, get at least 10,000 steps or whatever it is. You've lived that and felt it. And now that lesson mm-hmm. holds that much more meaning, right? Did I want to say something like before we were talking, I was talking about situations in which it's really important to admit when you've been wrong. I'm going to say something that when I was like a young personal trainer, probably between 17 to 21, maybe even 22 that I used to say that was just so wrong. And I like, if I would go back, I would punch myself in the nose for saying it (laughs) is the whole, like everyone has the same 24 hours in a day. You could not find me a more obnoxious thing to say. Mm -hmm. That is also not even accurate from a, it's not accurate from a technical perspective. The, The accurate statement is there is 24 hours in a day but we do not all have the same 24 hours in a day because same implies that your hour looks the same as my hour. And that's just not accurate. And now, whether it's with my child or with running, whatever it is, we do not all have the same 24 hours in a day. And every time I see that, I get mad because number one, it's not true. Number two is it's guilting and shaming people into feeling like they're doing something wrong. And number three is, and this is the worst part for me is I used to say it and I fucking hate myself for it. Mm. That's like one of the, I, it's so stupid and obnoxious and not accurate. I think that's probably the thing I, I regret 
top three things I regret as a coach, things that I used to say. And I don't know the other two. So don't ask me what are the other two things I have to, we have, maybe we could do a separate episode on that. <laughs> I like that. But, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, we do not all have the same 24 hours in a day. Now to go the other way, a lot of people will use, well, I don't have the same 24 hours in a day as a justification to not try at all. Just because your 24 hours are not the same as a 20 year old kid in college who can, has the free time to take naps, right? Like if, if you've got the free time to take naps in your day, <laughs> don't even don't start it's saying a different it. Hours, <laughs> it's a different you know? twenty four different twenty four hours. It's just that weird thing where you swallow your your spit oh, yeah, as a <laughs> and um yeah yeah different twenty four hours. It, oh yeah, people use it as a justification to not try at all. It's like okay, well you still got to try. You still got you can do something even if it's a sim. That's actually one of the people ask what's my people often ask what's my favorite purchase of the last year. In 2022, I got my walking pad and I, I it was like 500 bucks. I, I got it off Amazon. I still want to get that. It's linked on my um, Instagram highlights, just okay. so you know. So the, the same one that I have, if you want to, a lot of people DM me all the time. Where's the walking pad you use? It's linked on my Instagram highlights. It was like can five we, or 600 bucks. Yeah. Can we also put it in the show notes? Or yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah, it's great. Okay. yeah we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, but you should also, if you're not following me on Instagram, please go follow me. Um, but that walking pad is the best purchase I've made in probably the last five years, aside from, you know, paying for my baby to be born, which by the way, paying for a child to be born, this is a real fucking expense, Tony. Did you, like, you have to pay for, I mean, it, it makes sense. There are nurses and doctors working around the clock. It makes sense. But like, dude, it's expensive to have a baby. Never mind all the expenses that come with it. But to pay for your child to be born, like it's expensive, bro. I mean, care to throw out some numbers or is it more insurance or? Um, I'm not going to say numbers only yeah. because everyone's expenses are different based sure. on insurance and stuff. And I don't want some people to be like, what the fuck? It's like, no, just, I will say this. Health insurance as a entrepreneur, as a self-employed person, sucks shit. Having health insurance from uh, an employer in a, in a company, like especially a lot of these big companies, oh my God, it's yeah. so good. And health insurance as a entrepreneur, like I pay an unbelievable amount in health insurance every year and my health insurance is awful. Yeah, It's, it's absolutely terrible. So yeah paid a lot of money <laughs> to have this baby. Um, so that was probably the best purchase, but the walking pad, unbelievable purchase, bro. Unbelievable. And so I actually, I loved it so much that after I bought it, I gave away 10, mm -hmm. 10 walking pads to inner circle members. And so I don't even know how I got on this topic, but yeah, walking pad, top, top purchase. How did I get on that topic, dude? Uh, we were talking about 24 hours in a day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't yeah, being a like, father and how so, it changed your perspective. So people, you can't use just because you're super busy and all that. And, and it's true that we don't all have the same 24 hours in a day. You can't then use that to justify not trying. And that's one of the reasons I'm so glad I have the walking pad because at any point throughout the day, my wife or I, we can just turn the button on, mm -hmm. set it to whatever speed we want, and like maybe old Abe, my baby's taking a nap and we want to hop on the phone with someone and we can just go walk for 20 minutes. Just, or we can, yeah, you can walk around the apartment. I, I do that as well, but just turning that on and maybe like increasing the speed a little bit, it makes getting 10,000 steps a day truly 
I'm not going to call it easy, but way easier. And so that's been best purchase. So we're, we're around the same age. And I think back in the day, especially when you were strength training, people would kind of scoff at treadmills Mm -hmm. and just aerobics in general is sort of like, oh, that's, that's not going to help you with your strength training or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. There was a bias. And it's so interesting to me that, you know, my parents got a treadmill and when I go visit, I'm just like, this is the best thing ever. Like, I love yeah. the treadmill. And I would, <laughs> you wouldn't catch me doing anything on the treadmill except for like walking for five minutes to warm up before when I was younger. Right. And now I'm like, wow, this is the best thing. I wish I had room for this big treadmill, you know, dude, it's um, so, so good. The walking pad sounds awesome. And you can whenever I'm making content, I'm on I'm on the walking pad whenever I'm answering emails or making mm-hmm. content or I'm on the walking pad and it's slow. It's just, it's like a speed of like 1.2. So I'm barely moving, but I'm moving mm-hmm. because if I move too fast while I'm on my phone, it's, it's very, like I'll fall off. It's very difficult, but, uh, <laughs> but can't walk and chew gum at the same time. You know, <laughs> the other, the other thing is, man, if I have the option, I would prefer to walk outside in the sun, mm-hmm. but it's so funny. The person who's always on Instagram, and I'm not talking about one person in particular, but the people who are always on Instagram being like, get outside, get off the treadmill, get in the sun, go with your bare feet. Like that would be my preference. I would love that. But that person is always living in Miami and it's beautiful out all the time. I'm like, okay, what about the person who's living in, I don't know, Alaska when it's fucking freezing the vast majority of the year or the person who's living in a city and and they can't they don't want to walk outside barefoot i promise you that and it's definitely not good weather or the person who has a kid or multiple kids and can't just leave them alone to go walk mm-hmm. outside so it's like the walking pad just makes it it makes movement more accessible and also at a very relatively low cost compared to a regular treadmill and a much more uh, a small amount of space and again like this is not sponsored i don't do sponsored posts you can get any walking pad you want but you know, I, I'm just, a, I'm not getting paid by a big walking pad. This is just <laughs> by far the best, the best thing that you could do for your health. So I was, I said on Twitter the other day that walking is the gateway drug to better health and fitness. It's like, it is, it's, it's the base of the pyramid. It's the most important thing you can do. And the walking pad takes up minimal space. It's very versatile. It's easy to use, very safe. I love it. That's awesome. Should I dive into uh, some of the questions? Let's do it. Okay, let's see. My uh, gate just got changed. I'm flying out today to Manchester, UK. I'm speaking at an event called the UK Fit Expo in Manchester. So that's why we're we, we're doing it today. We're got to fly out in a couple hours. Okay, question. This is from Cheeky Chops. <laughs> Cheeky Chops. I like that <laughs> that handle. <laughs> Cheeky Chops, and the 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 E's and Cheeky are threes. Cheeky Chops said. Is jujitsu beneficial for women? I want to talk about this for many reasons. My wife would laugh. I'm constantly talking to my wife about, about things to, to help keep her and our daughter safe. Always. Like I am potentially overly obsessive with protecting my family. Like, and my friends. Always. Like my friends, I'll, I'll give them. Dude, I buy my friends pepper spray. I'm obsessed with it because the idea of losing someone to a situation that 
could have been avoided or where maybe they, they, they had the ability to protect themselves. It's, it's devastating to me to think about that. And so like I buy them self-protection tools, all that. We just got some new pepper spray for my wife. We got, when we got this new pepper spray for my wife, we got uh, these, you have obviously the canisters that have the pepper spray, but also they have canisters that are just filled with water so you can practice. Mm. Because don't get it's important. Those mixed up. Yeah, don't get those mixed up, but it's important to practice. It's important to practice spraying it properly so that you know, like, number one, how to spray it, how it actually shoots out, what it looks like. I think a lot of people have pepper spray. They don't even know how they're supposed to spray it. You're not supposed to use your index finger. You're supposed to use your thumb. You're you're actually not supposed to just try and point it at their eyes. It's very difficult. You actually want to move a side to side motion so that you get the, it almost creates like a wall of spray between you and them. Anyway, I'm obsessed with this stuff. And this is probably the thing I spend the most time on outside of health, fitness, my business and my family is, is understanding self-defense. And so I'm very passionate about this, especially for, for everyone, but especially for women. And I know it can be very difficult for women to do this even more difficult than men. And mainly because when you go to a self-defense class, whether it's jujitsu, kickboxing, Muay Thai, and I don't mean an exercise class, I mean a self-defense class. I don't mean you go to do kickboxing at Rumble. That's great exercise, but that's not self-defense. It's just not, you're not learning self-defense. It's mostly men there. And that's actually one of the reasons why my jujitsu coach, he started a women's only self-defense night every Tuesday. It's a women's only, no men allowed, which I know some men get mad about that, but I'm like, we need to get more women involved. And if this is the way we do it, we have women's only classes and I love that. Let's have it. Mm -hmm. And if you want to have men's classes too, fine. But like, that's usually not the fucking problem, right? So the short answer to this question is, yes, jujitsu is beneficial for women. And I'm going to go so far as to say that I think jujitsu is the best self-defense tool, period, especially in a one-on-one scenario. Now, a lot of people say, well, what if there are multiple attackers? If there's, listen, if there's multiple attackers, you fucking run and you scream and you bite and you yell and you scratch and you, you do anything you can to get away. The goal always is to just get away. But that's what jujitsu does. Jujitsu, more than anything, it teaches you how to create space between you and the opponent or the attacker. It teaches you to create space. My ideal scenario is if someone is, God forbid, trying to hurt you, take advantage of you, whatever it is, I just want you to get out safe. I don't need you to say you broke their arm. I don't need you to say you choked them out. All I need you to say is this person tried to do it and I escaped. And at the base level, that's what jujitsu does. And jujitsu gives the smaller, physically weaker person a huge advantage. And I've spoken about this, this young girl, Vanessa, before. She's, I think she's 16 now. She trains at the same academy as me. God forbid Vanessa and I ever got in a real fight on the street. She would fucking kill me. She's a prodigy. She's, I don't think she's ever lifted a weight in her life. She's like wow. physically very weak, but her technique is so good. She could choke me out, break my arm, break my wrist, break my ankle easily, at will, no problem. And I'm not bad at jujitsu. I've been doing this for years. Just got <laughs> like, I'm not bad. She's just way better. And so the long story short is yes, jujitsu would be very beneficial. And I will also say it's very difficult. It's, it's, it's very difficult. It's very emotionally difficult, especially if you've been a victim of violence or sexual assault in the past, 
there very well might be some triggering moments for you during this because you're being smothered by, they're lying on you. People are, are covering you. They're holding you down. But one of my favorite phrases is I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. And I'd rather be prepared and not need it than need it and not have it. Mm-hmm. And so if if there's anything that I could encourage anyone to do, but especially women, regardless of age, it's start jujitsu. My co-coach, Susan, she's 63. She started jujitsu in the last, about last year and she's killing it. And it's been very difficult for so many reasons. But she's loving it. And um, so, yeah, is jujitsu beneficial for men? Fuck yeah, it is. And I, and I hope that more and more and more people to people start doing it. Tony, do you want to start jujitsu? So I actually promised you a while ago that I would do at least one jujitsu mm. class intro. Did you start it yet? I haven't. I haven't. I owe you one. So I got to do it. You owe yourself one. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and me one. <laughs> yeah. But that's the kind of thing you were like, do you promise? And I was like, oh, shit, this is heavy. Um, and I said, yeah, so I have to do it. Like, it's got to happen. I just haven't Bro, done it yet. Are, are you going to do it before the end of 2023? <laughs> are you going to make me promise? <laughs> I am going to make you promise. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Are you going to do it before the end of June 2023? That's real soon. I, I I don't know about that one. That's what today is. Today, I'm looking at my watch. It's May 11th. Mm-hmm. You've got a month and a half to do an intro class. Yeah. Are you going to do that? All right. I got to do it. I you, gotta, I'm on air. To. How can I say no? All right. That's exact. I love that. I'm going to peer pressure you. <laughs> and that chug, means chug. Since, <laughs> that means since we're doing a podcast every week, that at some point in the next six weeks, you're going to tell me up. how your intro class went. I'm not going to yeah. bring it up. You're going to bring it up and you're going to tell everyone how your intro class went. So you have to, pro- you have to, I'm going to peer pressure you say, I promise you and every single person listening that I will do an intro class in jujitsu before the end of June, 2023. You have to say those words. I'm like, I'm like heating up <laughs> over here. It's getting hot in this little basement. So I promise to you, Jordan, and everybody else listening, that I will do an intro jujitsu class by the end of June 2023. Yes, I love it. And you don't have to continue. Yeah. You don't have to continue, but you just got to do the one class. And, and I'll say the advice that was given to me when I first started my first week, Damon Anderson, very high level jujitsu competitor. Best advice he gave me was you're going to hate it for the first two years because you're going to suck. Mm-hmm. It's so different than strength training. With strength training, you start it and you get better immediately. You go to the gym, you get stronger every fucking time you go. With jujitsu, it's the exact opposite. For the first like two years, you don't know what you're doing at all. And it's it's crazy because no matter how much you go, no matter how much, how like you're just not getting better for, for or you don't even notice it until you learn enough to where then the new person comes to class and this new person comes in and maybe they look big and strong, but because you've been going for a couple of years, you can now completely control them. And when I tell you the feeling of confidence that comes from that, the confidence that people get from getting stronger and lifting more weights, getting their first chin up, deadlifting for a personal record, multiply that by infinity. And that's what you get when you realize like you can actually take care of yourself against someone who doesn't really know what they're doing, regardless of their size, regardless of their strength. Like you can take like the confidence that comes from that unparalleled like truly unparalleled so you don't have to continue 
but definitely do that intro class. Cool. I'm doing it. Let's go. I love it. I love it. Okay. Next question. Okay. Here's a really good one. Here's a very, very good question. C. Wesser 27. She asked, would a weekly step goal work like a weekly calorie goal? Would you get the same heart health benefit? Now I'm going to explain what she just said. If you've listened to my podcast, I, I believe Tony, you and I did a podcast a long time ago about like my best health and fitness strategies ever. Mm-hmm. I think a year and a half, two years ago now. And in that episode and on my social media, YouTube, all that, I've discussed how you don't have to have a daily calorie goal. You could have a weekly calorie goal. So let's just say your calories boil out to 2,000 calories a day. Cool. You multiply 2,000 by seven, you get 14,000 for the week. And then you can distribute those calories however you want. So maybe someday, maybe on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you tend not to be as hungry because you're really busy working, blah, 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 blah. So maybe you have like 1,400 calories on those days. But then on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you tend to eat more because you're not working as much, you're with family, you're going out. So maybe you have like 2,400 calories on those days. As long as the end of the week, your calories equal out to 14,000, you're in a net calorie deficit, you'll lose weight. Great. So that's what C. Wesser 27 is referring to. Can you have a weekly step goal similar to a weekly calorie goal? So if your daily step goal, and I'm just using 10,000 as the number, you don't need to hit 10,000. I would say like 7,500 is the minimum of what I'd like most people to shoot for. But for ease of math, because I'm not good at math, 10,000 steps a day at the end of the week, 70,000 steps. I love how she specified. She did not ask about weight. She's asking about heart health. Mm. This is the the important distinction here. We are not talking about weight loss. We're talking about heart health because in terms of weight loss and specifically fat loss, calorie deficit is the most important thing regardless of steps. She's asking for heart health and I love this. Now, to clarify the question, if you, could you have a weekly step goal and get the same heart health benefits as a daily step goal? So to take this to the logical extreme, using this example on one day, on Sunday, you could get 70,000 steps. And then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you could take literally zero steps. Now, this is obviously not practical, but in order to understand the question, we have to take it to the logical extreme first and foremost, and then we can work backwards from there. That would be a terrible idea for many, many reasons to, to take 70,000 steps one day and zero steps the other day. Never mind, I do not believe you would get the same heart health benefits for many, many reasons. The physical toll that that would take on your body, your tendons, your joints, your ligaments, like think about your feet. You take 70,000 steps one day, like you're gonna, you're gonna have a very difficult time the rest of the week. You're going to have a difficult time taking care of your activities of daily living, your normal stuff that you need to do. Never mind the mental and emotional issues that would come with that type of a, a strategy. So no, from a, the extreme, extreme perspective, terrible idea. Now getting to more of a slightly more practical schedule. Maybe you walk over the course of, of three days, you walk 70,000 steps and the other four days you essentially walk none. I also think this is a terrible idea and I do not believe you get the same heart health benefits. When we're looking at heart health, the heart is a muscle, right? We know this, the heart is a muscle. When we look at the best heart health over time, 
we're noticing it's people who do things consistently. They move on a daily basis. It's not people who move a lot on any one or two days. It's not people who do extreme amounts infrequently. It's people who do more moderate amounts frequently. And so when we're talking about heart health benefits, it's not necessarily about going as hard as you can on a single day or as long as you can on a single day. It's about moderately stressing your heart in a good way every day or very frequently. So I do not think you get the same heart health benefits from trying to overload one or two or three days and then do nothing in the subsequent days. Now, let's say you work insane amounts Monday through Friday and Saturday, Sunday are the only days where you could get the most in. That's fine. You can get more steps on those days and that's wonderful and it will definitely contribute to better heart health. My concern is people doing a ton on those two days and then using that as justification to not do anything Monday through Friday. That I think is very dangerous and that is I, I think where you're gonna have a, a lot of issues. I think if you can shoot for, if you could try to get a minimum of 5,000 steps on your low days and then increase more on the days where you have more time, that would be wonderful. It's just very, 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 very important to move every day. And this is where the weightlifting and strength crowd always asks like, well, on my rest days, like, do I need to walk? Like, yeah, motherfucker. Of course you need to walk. You need to move. Like, I think strength athletes and a lot like hardcore strength, they take these rest days so seriously. They're like, all right, so I'm just going to sit down on the bed and do nothing the whole day. Dear Lord, it's a terrible idea. Like for so many reasons. Walking is resting unless you are severely, severely overweight and undertrained or like, who knows, maybe you're struggling with like cancer, right? It's like, and maybe for you, walking is legitimately working out and that's fine. But for the vast majority of people, walking is a recovery modality. Like, and you should do it as often as you can on a daily basis. Do not use a weekly step goal. Use a daily step goal of generally, I would say minimum of 7,500. There is a case to be made for lower, like four to 5,000 for, uh, as a minimum, depending on the person. But I think for the 98% of people, 7,500 on a day-to-day basis, it should be the minimum you're shooting for. What do you, what do you think, Tony? Cool. Any insight on that? So if we get even more granular, I don't remember where I read this, but someone was talking about movement throughout the day and they were like, it's actually better instead of just going for a really long walk for two hours and getting 10,000 steps and then doing nothing for the rest of the day to actually have been moving throughout the day and getting those 10,000 steps. Mm. How do you feel about that? So this is where I start to get worried about people overthinking it and thinking that, well, I got my 10,000 steps in, but it was during one deliberate session and that must not be good enough. And so then why bother? Listen, if I'm going to be very honest and objective, yes, I think it's probably better to move consistently throughout the day than it is to just try and do it in one fell swoop. Like if I'm being very objectively honest, does that mean getting 10,000 steps in one fell swoop is worthless? Not at all. Do I think it's infinitely better? No, I think it's probably marginally better. And if I'm being honest, usually by on a normal workday for me, by 6 or 7 p.m., I've usually racked up about 2,000 steps. Then I go get my workout in, and then I will get the rest of my 10,000 or so. 
And that's in, whether it's strength training, cardio, whatever, I'll usually end up end up at the end of the day between like 8,000 to 12,000, depending on what I'm doing with my workout. So objectively, I think it would be better if by 6 or 7 p.m. I had 8,000 steps. I think that would objectively be better and that I could get those steps consistently throughout the day. Based on my current work schedule, that is an impossibility. That's usually not what happens. And I think for most people's work schedule, that's an impossibility. So I, I'm, a, I'm trying to like find a really good balance between the facts and also practicality. So factually, yes, you are correct. I think moving throughout the day is better than just having it in one fell swoop. Practically, I know that is not possible for the vast majority of people. And I don't want those people to think that getting those 10,000 steps is a waste if it's not done throughout the day. Because the truth is the most important, the most important is just movement, period. And if you get them all in one fell swoop, we don't want to major in the minors, right? We don't want to focus on the minutia. The most important is, are you moving, period. And if you're getting 10,000 steps at the end of the day, you're good. I promise. You're fine. So yeah, that's, that's most important. But objectively, in fact, not caring about your feelings. It is better to move throughout the day consistently. It's just, it's a fact. And the other thing I'll add, and this is a question I get all the time, which sort of blows my mind. I can't believe this is a common question. And I realize the reason it's a common question is because there's some schmucks out there saying that, like saying this in the fitness industry, there, there are schmucks saying, I want to say schmuck more. I like that. It's, I believe it's Yiddish. They say, the schmucks say that steps only count if they're not exercise steps. So like if you're deliberately trying to get steps in on the treadmill or on a walk, that that doesn't count. You need to get 10,000 steps just randomly throughout your day. Like when you're grocery shopping or when you're just doing whatever it is you do. I'm like, how out of touch do you have to be to number one, think that that's accurate. And number two, think that a step that you take on the treadmill is different than a step you take in a grocery store. Mm. It's the same fucking thing. A step is a step and they all steps matter and all steps count <laughs> like, like steps are steps. And generally speaking, the more you can get, the better. There is obviously a point of diminishing returns, not just from a physiological and health perspective and physical health perspective, but also from a, we could look at the wellness wheel that we all learned about in middle school. Like if you're so focused on getting 20,000 steps a day that like, you're not having good conversations with your family or you're missing out on important events in order to get your steps in, that's not health. That's not balance. Like we need to find the balance between all aspects of health. So it doesn't matter if you do it during your workout or not during your workout. A step is a step and every step counts. That's great. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm waiting to see if you had something. All right, cool. All right. All right. So Alexa... Alexa Lexro, Alexa Lexro asked, what is a convenient way to keep track of my body fat percentage? Now, I wanted to ask, answer this one. It's a, it's a very good question. It's a very common question. And I will say, number one, there's only one truly accurate way to test your body fat percentage. There's only one truly accurate way. Do you know what that way is, Tony? Don't you like get in a pod and it does some sort of scan? And So that's actually not 100% accurate. 
Oh, okay. It, so, it, yeah. It's, no, I don't it's know. close. The only true accurate way one, with 100% accuracy to test your body fat percentage is to get an autopsy. Oof. And that is not convenient. <laughs> <laughs> that's not convenient, right? So that's number one. What you're talking about, they, they have these pods and DEXA scans that you can get in and, and they're relatively accurate. They also test more than body fat. They test bone density. They test a lot of stuff. Those are also not convenient. I mean, you got oftentimes you got to go to a college campus because that's usually where you'll find these things. If it's college campus or not, oftentimes you're going to have to pay a pretty significant amount of money or get it. It's like, who the fuck wants to drive all the way over to, to one of these places to then get in this pod? And it's not convenient. Mm-hmm. Now, there are other ways to test your body fat that are more convenient, but ex- way less accurate, like the body sk- the scales that you step on that tell your weight and your body fat percentage, or the handheld monitors that are completely off. Like if you test your body fat on one of those, and then you have a meal and go back and test your body fat, it's going to say something different. You could even test it multiple times in a row, and it will often give you different numbers. Those things are significantly off. So the reality is, the more convenient the method, the less accurate the results. The more accurate the results, the less convenient the method. But the reality is, I don't even like having clients testing their body fat percentage. I think it is a complete and utter waste of time. And I'm going to explain why. You don't need to know your body fat percentage in order to make progress at all. And what I've noticed is the more someone focuses on their body fat percentage, the more unhealthy their relationship with food and their body becomes and the more demoralized they become, the more obsessive they become. And often it's based off of numbers that aren't even accurate in the first place. Mm. Now, if you want to lose body fat, we all know, eat in a calorie deficit. Now, you can track your progress simply by using your weight, or using your pants, or measurements, or pictures, you don't need your body fat percentage. And a lot of people are like, but wouldn't it be better to have a a more accurate view? Well, that's based on the assumption that you're getting an accurate view of your body fat percentage, but you're probably not. And what I found is, you know how a lot of people really struggle with the scale? Mm -hmm. They get really emotionally attached to the scale, they get really worried about it. It's like, it's relatively easy to get people to, and and keep in mind, it's not easy at all, but a lot of people really struggle mentally and emotionally with the scale. It is relatively easier to get someone to have a healthier relationship with the scale than it is to get them to have a healthier relationship with their body fat percentage. Because with the scale, you can educate them. You can say, listen, this isn't just your body fat. This is the food that you ate. This is the poop that you have in your body. This is the water. This is like, there's so much stuff in your body that you're weighing. When you're saying, oh, this is my body fat percentage, you're saying this is your fat, this is your fat. That's all it is. And if you go in and one day it says you're 18% body fat and the next time you go in after 12 weeks, it says you're 12 weeks of lifting weights and doing cardio and eating well, it says you're 21% body fat, you're going to want to cry. You just worked insanely hard and the machine that's telling you your body fat percentage is telling you that your body fat's going up. And if you get one of those body fat, the scales that you have at home that you step on and that's telling you your body fat every day and one day it says you're 18.1, the next day it says you're 18.9. You're like, what the fuck? How did I gain 0.9% body fat? Motherfucker, you didn't. It's telling you the wrong shit. That's why I like just using your weight 
because you know it's going to fluctuate. You're, it's, is part of your, the educational process. You understand my weight will fluctuate. This is 100% normal. It's not just body fat. But when the scale is telling you that your body fat percentage has increased in a day, it's much more difficult to wrap your head around that even if you know these scales are not accurate. So I don't even like having people measure their body fat percentage because they're probably not getting an accurate measurement. And it's much easier just to use something like the scale to measure your weight as a whole, watch that trend over time. And as that trend increases or decreases or stay the same, you get a very accurate idea of is your body fat going down, going up or staying the same. You don't need to measure your body fat. I, The last time I measured my body fat was in university. It was actually in a bod pod when I was in a, an exercise science program. And that was part of that was part of the, the curriculum, testing your mm-hmm. body fat percentage. And I had to take my clothes off. I just had my boxers on and got in there in front of the whole class and I did it. It's like, <laughs> you do not need to do that. It is a waste of time. So yeah, that's that's my thoughts on that. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, I'm with you. And you know, just something that I think about with the scale is, at least for me, like sometimes the weight going up is encouraging. It's like, oh yeah, my lifts are going up, my weight's going up. Like I'm imagining in my head, mm. like that's muscle, that's good. Like I'm happy about that. Oh, that's a great thought. It's a great thought, brother. <laughs> Do you think we should do one more or is it we should, should call it here? I'm good with one more. Okay. How are you feeling? Um, dude, I feel good. I'm just keeping an eye on on the clock because... Oh, yeah. You do have to, a... Actually, you know what? Expo so to get to, yeah. I have an international flight and I want to spend a few minutes with my wife and daughter before before I have to leave. So I'm going to call it here. So I don't... I'm Can't not argue do with that. that. <laughs> um, dude, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you to everyone listening. Have a, have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week. Uh, you know, if you are enjoying the podcast, if you could do me a huge favor, I'm not going to ask for you to, to leave a review. Actually, you know, I am going to ask that. If you could leave a five-star review, that'd be great. But if you could share this on your story and tag me, I might not see it. That's a real possibility. I get a lot of DMs. I, I might not see it. But if you could encourage those who follow you to go listen to my podcast, put a link in there, it would mean the world to me. Uh, I don't do a very good job of promoting the podcast. I rarely talk about it on social media. I know I need to do better. I just hate promoting things. It just gets annoying. Everyone's always promoting something and I hate it. So if you could do it for me, that would be wonderful. And I would just really appreciate it. So yeah, that's all I'm going to ask. If not, that's totally fine. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day, a great week. And I'll talk to you soon. 